And now, keep in mind, this is Pele and Garincha, who won Best Player at the 1962 tournament, which illustrates uh, kind of an overarching point that racism is really dumb. I know nobody listening to this probably needs to be reminded of that, but it's just, I mean, think about it, guys. Calling Pele too stupid to play high-level football, come on. Hello? Hello? Yeah? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're here. Oh. We're here. All right. I just wanted... <laughs> During the first episode, we were telling you nobody's listening to this podcast, and then now you're wondering whether even your co-hosts are listening. <laughs> Welcome everyone to uh, a second uh, episode of uh, Real Football uh, Podcast, which is uh, the temporary uh, name. We'll talk about this in a minute. We have uh, another suggestion by Matt, uh, which is Total Football uh, Podcast, uh, referring to the uh, uh, Dutch uh, method in the 70s uh, or before. However, I'm here to uh, just start off our episode and I'm joined by... Matt Attenberry and uh, Thomas Serre, who is our guest uh, today, and hopefully we will lure him into the show. Uh, we are addressing racism in football, and this is something that we have been witnessing in the past uh, few months or maybe the past few years. However, it is not something that just started. We have uh, quite a few cases, actually. Uh, a recent case with Aston Villa just emerged a couple of days ago. Uh, and many others before then uh, in English football and, and of course Thomas is going to talk to us about French football but it all also goes way be, uh, way beyond that historically speaking and then we'll uh, end the discussion or the show with some uh, gossip uh, without which I don't think uh, I don't think I would be in this podcast because that's mm-hmm. the part that I kind of uh, uh, like the most however uh, we are um, uh, going to uh, give Matt uh, the floor to uh, start uh, our discussion. Thank you very much, Bassam. Um, yeah, racism in, is, uh, racism in football has existed probably as long as football has. Um, certainly, it's been intensified over the past few calendar years, or at least it seems that way. Uh, the first example of really ugly racism that I found, though, dates from the 1950 World Cup which um, Uruguay beat Brazil in the famous Maracanaza game. And afterwards, the Brazilian press went after Juvenal, Bigode, and Moisir Barbosa, who coincidentally were the only black players on the pitch, or not coincidentally, excuse me. Um, And this persecution actually uh, continued for Barbosa for the rest of his life which he died in 2000. That's 50 years of persecution. Uh, I remember reading an anecdote from either his biography or an interview uh, like 20 years later in, the, in 1970 when Brazil was actually in the process of winning the World Cup, a woman in a shop pointed him out to her son and said, see that man, son? That's the man who made all of Brazil cry. <laughs> which, that's insane. Um, and of course... Another example that's uh, sort of pre-modern era is that in the after the Maracanã, 
disaster, Brazil hired a team psychologist who said Pele was essentially too stupid to play at a high level. And they also said Garincha was too stupid to play at a high level. And now keep in mind, this is Pele and Garincha who won best player at the 1962 tournament, which illustrates a, kind of an overarching point that racism is really dumb. I know nobody listening to this probably needs to be reminded of that, but it's just, I mean, think about it, guys. Calling Pele's too stupid to play high-level football. Come on. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Yeah? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're here. Oh. We're here. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All uh, right. I just, yeah. <laughs> I just, wa I just <laughs> wanted... <laughs> During the first episode, we were telling you nobody's listening to this podcast, and then now you're wondering whether even your co-hosts are listening. <laughs> I do tend to drone sometimes, and I don't want to. I want... No, I'm... you didn't. It was perfect. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say that these were also times when a lot of these comments were not okay, but you could get away with so many with so many of these comments 50, 60, 70 years ago. And, and this is perhaps one of the reasons why this is becoming an issue, not because it started now, but, but, but the sensitivity towards these matters is much more, uh, it's much more heightened. Um, uh, Thomas, do you, do you want to bring in, uh, first of all, welcome to uh, Real Football. We are very excited. Oh, Thomas. Sorry, Thomas. I apologize. Thomas. 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 Yeah, uh, not, I, live, I live in California. I mean, I, I can oh, deal with everything. You, you're going to have to be Thomas now. <laughs> yeah, I'm Thomas. Tommy. Tom. <laughs> now, Tommy is maybe, uh, yeah, depending on, <laughs> on what you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, if you can uh, uh, share some of your thoughts, your uh, initial thoughts before we get to the France experience. The French case. No, but I mean, this is the, the question of the visibility of racism is important. Uh, and uh, and uh, the, 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 the rational, the scientific rational behind it, because as you said it, Matt, uh, the person who considered Pelé to be too dumb was a, a psychologist, uh, if I understand well. So it's not somebody who has, who has no training or no culture. So it's, uh, it might be dumb and, and based on, on, on prejudice and on obviously false assumptions, but it, it draws on a, on, a, on a genuine science. Uh, uh, which can be psychology or biology, etc. So, uh, from this perspective, what it, what is interesting is that uh, we we live in a period where football has never been as uh, scientific, and uh, therefore we know we have the data and we know that uh, white players and black players have roughly the same kind of athletic performance. Uh, yet, yet uh, the cliches regarding the ability of black players to uh, 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 be faster, uh, to be more enduring, have better stamina, this kind of cliches uh, uh, that can work for some of Tottenham's players, by the way, uh, that have been applied to some of these Tottenham players, are still very well, al uh, very alive and circulate in the public space. So what is, what is kind of contradictory is that we have uh, a football that is scrutinized, analyzed, and we have all the data we need, and yet all the all the all the 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 the, the, the parascientific, or the junk science that justifies racism is still is still there. 
Yeah, and this yeah, junk science yeah. dates back to like the 1890s social Darwinism. Like we're talking before World War One. Um, what's really a horrifying example of this is that in 1904 to 1908, uh, the German government actually committed a genocide in what is now Namibia. And what they did in this over the course of this genocide, aside from slaying thousands of people with the brand new technology of the machine gun, is they took the skulls of some of the deceased victims and used these skulls to support their junk science, as you so rightly called it, and talking about brain sizes and all this other nonsense, just completely baseless nonsense. <laughs> and only in the past year did Germany actually take the time to return these stolen skulls to Namibia while also saying, yeah, we're not going to give you any reparations, as is typical. <laughs> yeah. And speaking about, about, we'll speak about Germany later. I mean, because I don't want to uh, focus exclusively on France, even if it's what uh, is my main interest in general. But speaking about Germany and, and the UK and Premier League, uh, the case of somebody like Mesut Ozil, and in general, the, the way in which the, the German press has dealt with uh, these players from Turkish, Turkish origin is very telling of the way in which uh, uh, forms of racism continue to exist, this time not based on, um, skin on, color. on biology on biological or skin color or biological racism, but based on uh, um, palo uh, political ideas. Uh, uh, if uh, somebody like Mesut Ozil expresses uh, some kind of stupid attachment, let's, let's say it for, for Erdogan, uh, it will justify some kind of public lynching that is uh, 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 inherently linked to the, the, some kind of, of uh, underlying idea which is that Mesut Ozil is not really German. Uh, so, so this, this, the, the way in which uh, the, this uh, uh, German tabloids and uh, Bild in particular have dealt with Mesut Ozil over the last uh, uh, two years or three years shows that the science uh, behind uh, uh, racism in football is has moved in a way from biological uh, or psychological uh, 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 data to political science, in a way. Um, fun fact about Mesut Ozil, um, Erdogan was actually the best man at his wedding. Now, this doesn't that doesn't excuse the way that Bill treats him at no, all. That doesn't excuse it. That's that's problematic, though. I mean, to be yeah. to be fairly honest, I did I wouldn't want uh, Erdogan as as my best man. I think nobody on this uh, podcast wants Erdogan as his best man. I hope. I don't particularly want him anywhere near me. Good. <laughs> Don't worry, Matt. I think uh, Southern Virginia is not his uh, favorite destination. <laughs> I'm I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, so uh, this is uh, very important, and that is uh, the question of the uh, uh, global political climate uh, has encouraged for the past. Uh, I mean, for the past few decades, but especially the past couple of decades, this so sort of uh, uh, political forms of discrimination, uh, especially the past, uh, you know, maybe ten years, as a function of the increase of the. Uh, 
refugee population in Europe, and I think it's overflowing into football itself, creating all sorts of uh, cases like uh, the uh, Ozil case. Although uh, it's uh, notable that uh, the other some of the other greats, including Mo Salah, so far have mm-hmm. uh, for the most part escaped uh, th- that sort of uh, treatment even if uh, uh, no one has escaped it completely uh, so it's 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 also telling that uh, uh, in liverpool itself uh, actually the other the opposite has happened with mosalah with chants that actually are glorifying his his background and as you have seen uh, some of you have seen mm-hmm. like some of the youtube yeah. uh, chants in bars that would actually spell out and if I could, I could be, I would be Muslim too, or something of the sort, which is interesting to hear. Uh, Liverpool fans and bards, mostly inebriated uh, uh, or intoxicated, saying those things and repeating them at different times. It's it's uh, so it's 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 a mixed bag. But but the real the real the real uh, fact. Uh, or the real uh, issue here is that uh, racism uh, against uh, black players, wherever they're from, Africa or otherwise, even if they are, you know, French-born uh, uh, or or uh, British-born, is is remarkable. I mean, just recently, the the racist chant, as I suggested early on. Um, by uh, Aston Villa f- uh, fans. Uh, I mean, that's that's actually a, a, a chant that has been repeated by uh, like a, a good size of the audience, and they're trying to figure out how to proceed as to how to deal with it. And mm-hmm. uh, in, in Akamba, I think uh, uh, a player who, uh, who who was affected by this uh, chant was uh, uh, very vocal about it. But but this is not, of course, the only. Uh, uh, issue. It just happened this week. Uh, in fact, if we recorded this podcast last week, we would have missed this. But it's not the. It's a continuation of what's been happening in Britain. If we could uh, uh, just go over some of these people that have uh, been a target of these chants in uh, in the Premier League, that would be great. Before we again, before we go to the to the French uh, case study. Yeah, I can, I can do that um, because. Racism in British football is not new. I think um, one of the things that I found out that really was horrifying to me is that Viv Anderson, who was the first black English international capped, he was a player on the two Nottingham Forest sides that won the European Cup, which is now called the Champions League. He was experienced fruit being thrown at him 40 years ago. So this is not this isn't new. It's just now there's a camera everywhere to record it. Um, and more recently, you have the example, uh, particularly of Raheem Sterling being abused by, I want to say, six Chelsea fans. And, um, you know, Sterling has decided to really be vocal about it, which, as he well should be, if someone was going to abuse me at my place of work, I wouldn't particularly be quiet either. Um, and what's really notable about the Sterling case, though, is that he is taking the initiative. It's not Man City, his employer. It's not the Premier League, his other employer. And it's not FIFA. It's Sterling saying enough is enough and people rallying partially around that. Uh, but that is no what, surprise. 
What is really scary about this, though, is that for all the abuse that Sterling and other black players in England, particularly Danny Rose of Tottenham, have undergone, is that it can't hold a candle to the nonsense that's happening in Italy, where Cagliari fans within the past, I want to say three or four calendar years, have been involved in six incidents where they've made monkey chants at black players, which again ties to that um, junk science of bio- junk biology. Mm-hmm. Um, what's really appalling about Syria and the way they've addressed it, though, is that last week, and this is another thing we would have missed if we had recorded last week, um, I want to say a section of, I want to say Inter Milan fans did this. It could be someone else. It might have been someone else. Abused uh, Miralem Pjanic, the Bosnian midfielder for Juventus, by mm-hmm. calling him... Um, things related to his ethnicity, calling him things like gypsy, you know, and now they've got to play in a closed stadium for three weeks, but Romelu Lukaku gets racially abused by Cagliari fans, and there's absolutely no response. Cagliari actually got a bigger fine for throwing plastic bottles under the pitch than they did for abusing Lukaku. Where the Lukaku example gets really sick is that a section of his own fans, a section of his own Inter Milan fans are saying, no, they're, no, Cagliari fans aren't being racist. This is a respect thing, which I'm sorry. The person who wrote that letter, I need, I need to know what was exactly going through their mind when they put pen to paper for such an asinine, garbage take on a really disgusting situation. Mm. Well, I mean, I'm not sure that you want to have a discussion with the guy who is uh, leading the, this part of the, I think it's a, Kurvanor. Yeah, uh, yeah, so I don't think that you want to have a discussion with this person because he, he must be a moron. Uh, and I mean, Inter Milan fan, have, uh, what is terrible in this story is that if the Inter Milan is called Inter Milan, it's because it's international. And that in the 1920s, 30s, it was well known for having many foreign players in opposition to uh, the, all these uh, only Italian or Italian only uh, clubs and in opposition to fascism. So when you know the, 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 the history of your own club, technically you should know better and you should think better. But I mean, the trajectory of Italy in general, again, this is not specific to football. The trajectory of Italy over the last five, six, seven years uh, is uh, dreadful. And it's, uh, it's a political crisis that uh, ends up showing uh, some of the worst part of Italy in, uh, in stadiums. Uh, like from this perspective, stadiums are really sh- saying something about the state of society. Yeah, and it's yeah, not it's saying not anything good. Nothing, uh, no, nothing good, uh, in the north at least. Uh, and and what about uh, what about the uh, many instances of uh, uh, racism and uh, name calling that we actually witnessed, not uh, between. Uh, or not coming from audiences in the stadium, but also from players in Spain. Uh, mm. I know we talked about this uh, before, Matt, uh, casually with the, with the, with some of the Spanish teams, in particular, actually Barcelona. Uh, there was an incident when Busquets uh, made fun of Marcelo, uh, calling him a monkey. That's that's one instance, but there are other instances too. I mean, this is. This is also, in other words, this is not just the audience. There is a, there is a tendency, uh, even when uh, teammates uh, or two teams playing uh, each other, when something goes wrong, uh, it's almost like right there beneath the surface, right? Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, that there is a, an instance in the past of a fight between Sinisa Mihailovic and uh, Patrick Vieira in the Champions League. Uh, but I mean, and this is something that, you know, the, the fans will, will forgive a lot of things. And I think that Luis Suarez uh, was caught at one point for racial slurs against Pat, uh, Patrice uh, Evra. Uh, when Suarez was in Liverpool and Evra was in uh, in Manchester United, and somehow people have like forgot that about Suarez, forgotten that about Suarez. Yeah, he can he can uh, he doesn't have this. Uh, 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 he's not identified as a racist player. And Busquets, usually when you hear people talk about Sergio Busquets, they talk about the fact that without him, Barcelona can't really function as a team, mm-hmm. almost as much as Messi, although he does very different thing on the pitch and where this is difficult is if i didn't know he was a racist i would probably really like sergio busquets to the point of purchasing a kit but -hmm. i can't purchase a kit of someone i know is going to call a darker skinned player a monkey i just i cannot do that i will not reconcile that and uh, another example in spain is that uh luis aragones when he was managing spain called Thierry Henry something I'm not going to repeat, obviously, that, you know, and before he did that, he made sure to mention that Henry was black in addition to whatever insult he chucked at him, which Mm. is just like, what in the world is wrong with you people? Mm. Um, And of course, the Spanish FA have been was were hush hush about it because the Spanish FA is just as spineless as the Italian FA about this. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Then, then again, I mean, the the, the problem, and if we want to go back to to Aragonés, bon, it's another generation, but Suarez, Busquets, uh, Mihailovic, bon, bon, beyond the fact that these are great players, uh, these are poorly educated men who don't really understand the the meaning of the words they use. So they are what they do is racist, and they can be perceived as a racist. But rather than uh, uh, putting the blame on one person, which is absolutely fair. Again, what is what is more important is to understand the racist structures behind all of this. Uh, and, and, and the main problem is clearly, as you said, that the, the federations accept this kind of behavior, that the clubs are managed mostly by white, uh, uh, wealthy white people. And, uh, and the fact that you have no coach, uh, uh, no head coach uh, uh, of color, uh, black or brown, in the Premier League, in Serie A, in uh, in the Ligue 1, in the Spanish League, or in Bundesliga, says a lot. You cannot be a, a, a football coach in a top-tier club, apparently, and be black. So there is a structural issue beyond the, the question of individual responsibility. Yeah. You're absolutely right, and we can't and we can't depend on FIFA to solve anything, let alone this this yeah. problem. Which we will actually, before we close, we will we will. I mean, I think it's a good idea to just discuss a little bit what can be done, regardless of whether we believe an institution is going to take it upon itself to do it or a group of institutions. Mm-hmm. But before that, uh, shall we, uh, Thomas? Shall we uh, uh, address uh, your uh, your own research and observations on on the uh, on what's happening in France regarding uh, this issue. Uh, yeah, before that, yeah. Before well, that, I wanted to say, you know, when I was doing my research, I found very little on France. So, the fact that you have as much knowledge as you do on this topic, I really want to hear what you have to say. How come? How come yeah. you find you found little? Uh, maybe 
Maybe also Toma can address that. I mean, is it not uh, online or in public view? It could very well be that I just missed it. Maybe it's in French, uh, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is a question of language, but I think that the real the real reason is that the French like to think about their league as one of the top five leagues in Europe, but it's a, it's a rather minor league compared to the Premier League and uh, and the Spanish uh, Liga. So obviously you will find uh, less information unless you speak French, obviously. Um, but oh yeah, we can speak about about France. Uh, obviously, in France, it's always different uh, because every country has its own uh, issues and its own form of racism. Um, the issue is in the question of race in French football is inherently linked to uh, colonialism, and the first uh, players of color, uh, West African, North African, arrived in France in the 1930s. Uh, they played for the French uh, national team uh, rapidly. Uh, I think that the first player, I don't remember the name, but it must be uh, at the end of the 1930s. Uh, so I knew I, I didn't find any like uh, uh, infamous story about racism in the 1930s and 40s, and you don't need that because it's colonialism. So you know that the, the system is racist. You don't need to find examples, uh, iconic examples. Racism is here, and race is part of the deal. The first, uh, so you have a bunch of famous North African players, mostly uh, Algerian, uh, among them McLuffy, who, is, who joined the, 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 the first uh, Algerian national team during the War of Independence. So he was playing for the French national team and left to play for the, the, the FLN team. And the first big uh, star, uh, African star in France, is the Malian uh, uh, football player, uh, Malian uh, striker, Salif Keita, who played for Saint-Étienne in the 70s. Uh, so now let's speak about the racism and racism in more modern uh, terms. So I, I feel that, uh, Bassam, earlier you mentioned the, the, the case of Mosala, And I think it's a pretty good way to look at the question. What makes Mosala? Uh, uh, likeable right now is the fact that he is among the best players on earth. He is a rather humble person, but as long as he win, as he wins, he will be liked. Uh, race will come into play, I feel, in a much more blatant fashion uh, when he has a, a, a difficult year, and it, it might come this year, by the way. And I think that in France, really, the, the issue of victory and defeat uh, and the, 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 the trajectory of the, of the teams involved will, will uh, uh, clearly affect the, the expression of, the, of these racial tensions. So my team, personally, is the PSG. I'm a big PSG fan since I was a kid. So I'm not a Qatar so I didn't start in 2011 when we had the money. I started before. And uh, the PSG experienced this worse its worst years uh, in terms of racial tensions in the 2000s, when in like uh, from a, from a, from a, uh, the, the point of view of like results on the pitch, it was also terrible. And at this point, the tension between the actual uh, part of the of the fans, which were neo-Nazis, uh, uh, in the so-called uh, uh, Boulogne uh, curve, uh, clashed with the other part of the stadium. The, the Auteuil curve, uh, which is more uh, like, which was more uh, multiracial and made of like people coming from the suburbs and anti-fascist groups. When in Boulogne, you had a bunch of of 
actual neo-Nazis, uh, mostly among the pitbull cop. And uh, one of the leaders of the independence was a guy called Serge Ayoub. Serge Ayoub, who was also known as uh, Batskin and one of the main figures of the neo-Nazis in Paris for, for, for more than a decade. So this led to recurring clashes uh, between anti-fascists and neo-Nazis uh, in the Parc des Princes and in various stadiums in France, because each time you had a, uh, an away game, these fans ended up in the same uh, part of the stadium and clashed. Uh, people died and eventually all the, 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 the fan groups, uh, all the, the groups of supporters in, uh, of the PSG were dissolved at the end of the 2000s, in 2010, more exactly. So this to say, uh, this to show, if you want, uh, the, the link between uh, the rise in, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, racial tensions and the actual trajectory of the club. And, uh, and also the more the broader question of the political crisis faced by the country. So that might be something that we want to think about when we when we when we try to understand what is going on not going on right now in in um, in Italy, especially when you look at the Inter Milan uh, and and um, AC Milan. These clubs who are facing deep uh, crisis, a country that is in deep crisis, and the fans who just lose it and show their worst face. Uh, but that's um, another question. Uh, so, if you want, I can I can also speak a tiny bit about the the case of. Uh, so we can look at the question of victory and defeat, uh, on the way in which it plays or it influences the expression of uh, racist or the, the the underlying racism in the French society from two perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. From two perspectives, uh, what, what I can do is that I can start with the victories of the Algerian national team and the way in which uh, the reactions of its uh, French or Franco-Algerian fans uh, was uh, read in France. And then I will speak about the, the French national team. So uh, well, you, you, you might know that if you want the, 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 the peak in the history of Algerian football until, until recently was the 1980s, 1982 on the, the infa infamous uh, World Cup in, in Spain, which was one of the most uh, corrupt World Cup in history. And the Algerians were some of the, the big victims of this uh, corruption. But um, at the end of the 2000s, the, the Algerian football team started like having a, a momentum again and, and won some very important games, uh, notably in 2009 when they defeated Egypt and uh, finally uh, got their ticket to uh, go to the World Cup, the 2010 World Cup. And following this uh, qualification, historical, it's been like a very long time, uh, if you want thousands, uh, ten, like tens of thousands of uh, Algerian fans, uh, I mean, went in the streets, paraded in the, the, the streets of like French cities, expressed their, their, their genuine attachment to their Algerianness and without questioning their, 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 their Frenchness, that's their problem. But they, they expressed their attachment to their, their, one of their country of origin uh, with, with flags and, and, and uh, it was a cathartic and joyful moment in the streets. And obviously that's important to, 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 under, to, to, to say it, uh, with this, these manifestations of joy uh, came a bunch of clashes uh, between the police and fans, uh, car accidents, some, like some security issues, as it's always the ca case when you have this kind of uh, mass popular movements in the streets. And the Algerian football team had, again, a, a quite 
impressive World Cup in 2014. And lately, they won the, the African Cup of Nations. And each time they have a great run in a competition, Algerian fans in France will go in the streets and parade and have that. And this is this um, creates or, or, or fuels some kind of very uh, uh, deep reaction, a reaction coming from the if you want the guts of of, of this old France, old racist France, and more generally. Uh, uh, I would say it shows what the French state, um, what are the difficulties of the French state with its racial minorities, especially suburban racial minorities. So what you can see uh, with the case of this, uh, with the way in which these uh, moments of pure joy are uh, depicted in the French media is that they are systematically limited to the question of security. They are systematically depicted as some kind of uh, barbarian mob, some kind of uh, chaotic uh, impulse uh, that uh, threatens, uh, if you want, the nation, threatens the, the actual uh, uh, urban infrastructures, and that demonstrates some kind of uh, childish um, childish um, spirit. So, what it, I feel that what is important here is that the question of the pride expressed by Algerian fans in French streets, in like in France, in the on the French territory, shows two things. Two things. First, uh, it shows that. Franco-Algerians are not exceptional, but they are perceived as the epitomes of some kind of particular, particularly unruly lumpen proletariat, some kind of uh, uh, indisciplined working class that lives in the sub suburbs that uh, is and will always be a, a safety, a security hazard for the French state, and that the French state cannot cope with this uh, minority, because in order to actually deal with the socio-economic problems of these people who live in the French suburbs, you will, would have to acknowledge the fact that this is linked to the issue of race. That a huge component of the of the problem is the the actual structural racism. But since the French state is colorblind, that's not possible. And the second problem, and something that is, I feel, uh, uh, especially uh, sensitive in France is the question of the representation of the nation when you have your streets flooded with Algerian flags, Algerian flags, Moroccan flags, Tunisian flags. It really uh, uh, speaks to a deeper anxiety in the French uh, nation or among uh, uh, in the French national body. And this idea of the great replacement that is essential to the French far right. Uh, that has been uh, notably popularized by, by the writings of somebody like Renaud Camus. And if you want, since uh, the invasion of the pitch by Algerian fans during a France-Algeria France game in 2001, you have this idea that when you have a mass of Algerian fans in the streets, what you are seeing is the great replacement at work. You see the crumbling of the French nation. You see the cr crumbling of the European, uh, uh, of, of Europe, 
as a white continent on the replacement of its population by immigrants. So as you see here, it's not only about Algerians, it's about the way in which the French nation state and uh, uh, I would say uh, a huge part of the white Europeans think about immigration as a threat for their, for their, uh, for their identity, for their polity. So that's something that uh, might be of interest, I feel. Wow. And then, uh, if you want, I can follow up with the French team, or if we can, you want to discuss that, it's up to you. Yeah, uh, that was that was a handful. I mean, that's uh, that's wonderful, uh, Thomas. Uh, the French team, you mean the current French team and what it's uh, undergoing, or? Oh, I could speak about that, and it would be it would be really positive. But in general, the win, which if you want just to follow up and to 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 see, oh, when it comes to the Algerians, what we do not accept, or what the the the, the French far right, but also conservatives, nationalists. In more generally, the, the French public doesn't accept is uh, the possibility that Algerians might win, because there is something deeply threatening in this kind of success for the French nation. For the French national team, it's quite the opposite. As long as the French national team wins, the the racial narrative will be well. This is a tale of a successful integration. It's this uh, black blamber nation uh, again. So black blamber uh, is the, the slogan that uh, surfaced after the, the first victory of France in a World Cup in 1998 uh, as a way to show that this football team was uh, the iconic example of the success of the French model of multiculturalism, even if we don't call it multiculturalism in France. Um, and This works when we win, uh, this enchanted na uh, narrative of integration and assimilation. And when we lose, it's the exact opposite. So the French national team will become, if you want, the, the embodiment of what uh, went wrong with the polity, especially from the point of view of its racial minorities that are uh, inherently threatening, that are undermining the, 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 the values Uh, uh, French values, if you want. And the best example is the, the aftermath of the 2010 World Cup, when uh, you might know that the French team uh, went on strike, uh, which was pretty, pretty, pretty fun to watch, actually. But they went on strike and they were kicked out of the, of the tournament early on uh, during, during the, the group phase. And following this um, astounding defeat, uh, a lot of philosophers, Uh, intellectual figures. You know that in France, uh, really, we have this respect for the intellectual as part of the of the of the of public debates. But our intellectuals are as moronic as the rest of the population. It makes sense in a way, and therefore, uh, a huge part of them kind of jumped on this issue of the, the defeat of the national uh, team. A huge part of them didn't know anything about football, but what they what they what they did is that they used the defeat of this football team to uh, develop an argument on uh, the crumbling of the Republic and the replacement of the, the spirit of the, of the police, of the noble uh, Republican uh, 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 polity by the spirit of the delinquent, by, uh, uh, of the delinquent suburbs, uh, the, 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 the spirit of these thugs uh, who, uh, 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 who had, uh, if you want, usur usurpated the, 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 the national uh, jazzy. 
So that's two ways to look at the question of uh, victory and defeat and the way in which victory and defeat uh, will impact uh, 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 the expressions of racism in, in France and in the French public space. Matt, are you, are you happy with this? See, they have racism too. Um, I mean, I'm never happy about <laughs> racism, but um, I do appreciate the wealth of information, if that's what you mean. Um, I did notice that in the aftermath of France's second World Cup win, there was a lot of fluff pieces written about the positivity of multi multiculturalism. And because I've seen it happen, not just in football, but in other sports, uh, my first thought when I read these was, you know, if they lost, these pieces would be the exact opposite narrative. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. In general, I mean, the far, the far right in the U.S., in France or in the U.K. is uh, defeatist. These people like feed from defeat. And, and the only thing that they are waiting for is this kind of, 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 uh, of absolute failure to jump on their IRs and, and denounce the, 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 the failure of society, the, the loss of values, these kind of things. So obviously sporting events are essential for the expression of this kind of radical discourse. That, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you look at the, the, the case of France after 2018, if you want, what is interesting is the... the the, the conflict between the way in which this victory was read in the US and in France. Because in the US, it was really about, look at these African players. And there was a narrative uh, in, in American media, and I'm thinking about uh, Trevor Noah, probably who entered in some kind of weird discussion with the French ambassador, about the fact that, look, these are, French, uh, these are African players. Which is uh, telling of the way in which Americans think about race. Uh, and the way in which they will uh, read something that happens in a foreign country as uh, uh, if it was happening in the US. But it's also problematic in the sense that all of these players repeatedly uh, said that they were not African, but French. You know, they were not in this kind of like double uh, identity game, as it's often the case in the US. They were clearly uh, 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 appropriating the Repub Republican narrative even if it's problematic at so many levels, I'm not defending the Republican narrative here, but they were, they appropriated this, this narrative and they said, we're French, vive la République, period. And it was read in American media as, look, they are African, which uh, I feel says a lot about, about the US much more than France. Oh, it says plenty and none of it's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do remember the Trevor Noah comments you're referring to, and I I read those and I said, what in the world? Like, I, I, I threw my hands up in the air, and I, I, I genuinely didn't know what to do with the information that he said, because nobody forced... I'm just going to name some... I'm just going to name names. Nobody forced Paul Pogba, Kylian Mbappe... Uh, Samuel Umtiti, yeah. nobody forced them to play for France. They chose to. Yeah, no, and, and more, more importantly, and that's obviously there is this question of like uh, choice, but it's not the way identity works. It's, I mean, there are different ways to, to play on these uh, racial identities and the way in which the, this French team decided to to to, to 
play the, the, the identity card was really, um, uh, really Republican. That's problematic at so many levels because it's a way to negate the reality of, 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 of the, the, the racism that is inherent to the French state. Uh, but you cannot come from the outside and just overimpose your own reading of the situation. So, I mean, in both cases, it says a lot about the racial structures in France, and it says a lot about the racial structures in the US. Uh, none of them are, in, uh, are, uh, are uh, uh, um, both of them are problematic, obviously. And I, a lot of this dates back uh, really far, um, but you want to talk about a lot of the modern narratives. It probably starts in the immediate aftermath of World War II when the decolonialization period began. Yeah. Although evidently, obviously, it goes back much further. Um, and we still use the same racialized language that we do did in 1980, for example. We still use the same language we did in the 50s. Just some things are considered more overtly problematic in public than others. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and Bassam mentioned earlier the question of um, the scrutiny, especially on social media, which might explain why people now pay more attention to the racism that exists in stadiums, but this is obviously a continuum. I don't know if there is a, a surge in racism, uh, but there is a, a, there are uh, like new ways to, to monitor stadiums. And this is also something that we might want to, to, to touch but, on, because if 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 you want to go to the bottom of the problem, uh, and that's that might be a problematic statement, but I think we should we should just tackle it. You see, you see if you want to keep it in the podcast or not. But there is also the question of uh, the way in which stadiums have become a, a space of mass surveillance. And uh, if we can spot all these racists, it's also because the stadium is a place where the the fan is systematically uh, monitored. In a way, that is kind of scary. It is scary, but at the same time, what's worse, a, a camera being on for the fan to, to catch the fan or the fan shouting something abusive in the first place? I normally don't like the argument, well, if you don't want trouble, don't misbehave. But this is one of those instances where I find that statement less problematic mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because, um, Absolutely. you know, we've got drones that can see. I'm sure if they wanted to, they could see, I don't know, the color of my socks through the brick wall of my house if the government really wanted to in this country. I think it would be a less problematic use of such technology if we used it to say, hey, this person sh is shouting awful things at Marcus Rashford. This person is shouting things at Danny Rose. This is who they are. Let's ban them from the stadium like that yeah i think that this is a marginal use of this te technology and it's by far the less problematic um, the problem is that is what they do with this technology on the side which is policing customers yeah uh, are you still here basan i'm always here i'm i'm actually i mean there are a couple of things that i wanted to comment on one of them is a gossip item about mo salah because you said uh, you said that you know maybe this year uh, his performance will dip and I I kind of didn't like that. <laughs> we'll talk about you this haven't in a seen the game. You haven't seen the game. He's not that great. 
I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I mean, I watch every single game, and and he's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of uh, uh, psychological uh, uh, issues that happened, especially after he was, you know, accused of being selfish and not giving this ball to Mane in one of this one of mm. the plays. And it, it ended up actually making him more conservative and less adventurous at some level. And, mm-hmm. and that's why many top British English Premier League players said he shouldn't worry about all these comments. He should just play. So, so there's a lot going on. I don't necessarily agree uh, that uh, that you know he's uh, he's dipping, uh, but but we'll see. But uh, before that, uh, you know, you mentioned something. You know, we're talking about why. Uh, we are seeing more of this. I mean, we talked about a number of factors that demonstrate why is it that we are seeing uh, more of this. I mean, first, uh, besides the fact that we are all, well, many of us were always, but a lot of people that weren't before are now more sensitive about these issues. But there are mm-hmm. structural factors. There's, uh, first of all, the... Uh, uh, dramatic uh, rise in number of people who are now part of the top leagues in Europe that actually, uh, you know, 20 or 30 years ago weren't there. Not because, uh, I mean, uh, not because they, they didn't want to be there or they weren't sought, but also because mm-hmm. of changing rules about how many foreign uh, players you could include yeah. and about uh, uh, the mobility, right? The ease with which... Uh, you could do that, and about actually the rising uh, level of uh, uh, talent in uh, teams that are not considered top teams in the world, and that is something that we saw yeah. on display in 2018. Remember, Matt, we were talking in 2018 about at least, you know, I I asserted that that the B teams uh, in 2018 World Cup compared to the B teams in 1986. I mean, it's it's just a different level of 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 challenge. Uh, surely, in the end, the the usual suspects made it for the most part, but the B teams are actually very challenging uh, now, and 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 that's one of the reasons they increased the number of World Cup teams from sixteen to twenty four, and so on. So this this is one you know thing, one one issue, one variable. The other is. Um, uh, what Matt, uh, what uh, Toma has been saying all along, which is basically besides the uh, biological racism or physiological racism, it's it's there's also uh, uh, increased political tension in the past twenty years, uh, and that calls a uh, a third variable, which is uh, the question of uh, uh, refugees and immigrants growing as a function of people migrating to uh, where they think they will find opportunity and Europe is the closest to many of these countries. Uh, And that's something that uh, has turned people who always thought of themselves as not being, you know, prejudiced or racist into uh, into such. Uh, I mean, it's even happening in Turkey where early on they were open to uh, welcoming Syrian refugees with several million going to Turkey. And in the past several months, Things have changed yeah. because of the actual consequences of having this many people yeah. in 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 a in a in one's country. I mean, these things are gonna catch up with you, whether you're European uh, or 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 Turkish or or what have you. Um, so so yeah, these these are some of the reasons. Uh, and I mean th- that might actually. I mean, of course, there are others, but uh, including the the speed with which. Uh, 
everything travels on social media and the extent to which everything is captured uh, these days uh, via, you know, uh, systematic attempts at, at, at catching those things simply because of the prevalence of cameras or the actual, uh, uh, you know, citizen uh, journalist who's always, you know, uh, filming things and catching all sorts of uh, uh, happenings. But maybe this brings us to the discussion of, I mean, what can be done about it? Is this something that that one simply deals with as as one deals with, uh, you know, uh, enforcing laws like law enforcement, or or is it something that that could be uh, specifically dealt with in in structural terms, including, uh, I don't know, I mean, in in, in Lebanon as a function of all sorts of. Uh, uh, name calling and fights that took place at one point a few years ago, mm-hmm. they just banned. Uh, they banned audiences. Period from from wow. the uh, from the league, uh, but I, I don't think that will work in a in a capitalist situation. It will just bring the whole thing falling, you know, uh, crashing down. But w- 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 yeah, what could be what could be a um, a way to treat that uh, besides collective punishment? Well, there is also the issue that there would not be so many million refugees if when a lot of these, particularly in Africa, a lot of these countries have artificial borders. And what I mean by artificial is they were drawn up by a bunch of people in 1884 in the Conference of Berlin, where the European leaders decided to treat Africa as you would Thanksgiving turkey and just carve it up for their own personal fiefdoms, which has led to over a century of political conflict and instability, which in turn leads to refugees. I yeah, and think- we can say the same uh, clearly about about the Levant or or parts of the many parts of the Middle East. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it clearly, uh, you're. <laughs> I think when they are gonna try to find a solution, by the way, that's not funny. I shouldn't be laughing. When they're going to try to find a solution, I think they're going to, I mean, yeah, I think they might bypass the uh, uh, the responsibility that Europeans had. Yeah. And I mean, That's it's just like the way, you. yeah, they're not going to, they're not going to like push an, an academic serious uh, exploration of causality. But, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's interesting that you say this about Africa because, you know, the Middle East suffered the same, uh, the same fate and, and even the wars that we have been witnessing, whether uh whether it had to do with Iraq or now Syria all involved you know foreign armies uh notably from from the west or from Europe as well as of course the east but uh, refugees are not are not usually uh set on uh, you know going east they're, they're more they're more set on going west yeah um to your actual question of how do you solve this well first thing fifa needs to start actually taking it seriously i don't want to see another t-shirt that says say no to racism with a fifa logo on it until they actually punish clubs for doing so and as much as this is a very totalitarian approach the fir- the way to solve racism on terraces in stadiums in parks is to hit the one place where clubs hurt the most, and that's the wallet. You say, okay, you have racist fan behavior. Uh, Not only are we going to say you have to play in closed doors, which just looks, in addition to fiscally hurting, it's also kind of spooky to watch on TV. Take away their TV money. Um, Points deductions, because you want to solve racism. Say, hey, you have a racist racist incident. We will relegate you automatically 
you know, clubs will start taking that real serious in a hurry. And we'll never see another fool on Twitter call Paul Pogba a slur. We'll never see it again if that's the consequence. <laughs> I don't think that you can legally uh, blame the clubs for something that happened on Twitter. So you will see, whatever you do to the clubs, you will see people on Twitter uh, saying this kind of stuff. And I think that the only way to stop Twitter uh, for people from saying terrible stuff on Twitter is to uh, ban Twitter, uh, which I'm this is completely, uh, like supporting as a, as, a, as, a, as a platform, but I don't, I'm not sure that it will be possible. Uh, th I think that what you're saying is really interesting because whatever, uh, if we think about the, the legal responsibility Uh, clubs are responsible when it happens where? In the stadium. It's the only moment where, where, where they are actually responsible for the act of racism, when they are organizing the event. From this perspective, the, safe, the, the safest way for them to uh, evacuate this legal uh, liability is to uh, either turn their stadiums into uh, some kind of totalitarian uh, uh, venue where you are systematically under control, which is the, the, the first option that they prioritize currently, you know, turning stadiums into, into airports, which is a normal evolution of modern architecture. Or the other option is just getting rid of the, of the fans and playing in China, where you will have Chinese. And this way, uh, the racism will be evacuated by the fact that viewers don't understand Chinese, if you're lucky. Uh, so, I mean, unfortunately, what, 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 what I see right now uh, is that the best way to solve the issue of racism in stadium might be to suppress uh, the fans. And this is not a, a very uh, a good uh, prospect. At least I'm, uh, this is something that I would rather avoid personally. Oh, so would I. But at this point, I'm not sure I trust, like particularly with the Curva Nord of Inter Milan, those Cagliari fans who've been caught doing this so many times, the Villarreal fans who are going to throw a banana at Danny Alves like they did in 2014. They, the fans at this point have shown they cannot be trusted to behave like reasonable, rational adults. They are fans. That makes sense. No, This is what a football fan is, no? I'm well, a football fan. Yes. When, when my team is playing, I'm not a rational adult. I'm, I'm a childish uh, brat. When, when, when I, my team uh, uh, loses a game against my wife's team, I will, I will not speak to her for 24 hours. That's normal. That's, that's what a that's, fan does. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so you But are you're not shouting racial slurs. Rationally. You're not, let me rephrase. When I say behaving rationally, I mean you're not behaving like a racist. But racism is part of society. So... You, you cannot suppress racism because it's a structural thing in society. So the only way to address it, so th this is also like the question of how do you treat the disease? Do you address the symptoms? So uh, you have AIDS, the symptoms will be uh, like the rashes or all the stuff uh, that are happening on your skin, or you treat AIDS. Uh, and, and if you just treat or try to, 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 to cure the rashes, you're not going to cure uh, AIDS as a disease. Think of racism as this kind of like deep uh, issue. If you just focus on the fans, which are, it's a, it's a football game. It's the most popular game in the world. If you just focus on what happens on the outside, you're missing the, the most important point, which is structural racism. 
um, my, my, the fans will be always the first targeted. When it comes to security issues, it will always be the first targeted. I'm not convinced that we're going anywhere uh, when we just do the, this, the usual. It's like what we have done for the last 20, 30 years, uh, focusing on fans, increasing the security uh, uh, apparatuses in stadiums. It's going nowhere. Fans will leave the stadiums. They will be racist on social networks. They will fight uh, on highways as Italian uh, ultras have done. They cannot go to the stadium. They cannot fight in a stadium anymore. No, no biggie. They will fight I, on a highway. I actually uh, support this. Not support. It's not like I like it, but I agree with this difficulty uh, in the sense that that I believe that this problem, because it's structural, uh, there's no quote unquote solution to it you cannot eliminate the problem you can but you can manage it right toma i mean there are ways to manage it so that it's below a particular threshold and within those ways you could deal with fans but not with the assumption that you're going to eliminate it uh, yeah, exactly. but are you suggesting i mean i mean is this something that uh uh, given that we knew that it existed even without having a football as as a spectacle, are you suggesting that uh, people who have to deal or who deal with or who exist in the football world uh, should address social problems as well? Because that might be, you know, above their... Uh, I don't know, uh, beyond above their, their pay grade. I I, I wanted to say that, but I avoided it because it's it's not just that. It's 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 not their concern. It's not their domain. Um, I mean, the, the president of my football club is one of the most powerful men in his country, Nasser Al Khelaifi. Uh, I'm convinced that if Qatar wanted to do something, they could do something. It's just that they don't give a damn. Uh, uh, I wouldn't consider football to be uh, uh, some kind of peripheral social phenomenon. It's the most important sports in the world. It's the most most important sporting event, um, and the FIFA has social responsibilities. Um, the problem is always is always uh, from my perspective, uh, as I mean, as we are all social scientists, um, a phenomenon is never merely uh, autonomous from the rest of society. A phenomenon has always deeper uh, structural causes. So yes, you can manage the crisis, and this I agree with Matt, and I agree with you. We you need to 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 sanction the behavior in stadiums. You need to make sure that these uh, racist pricks uh, are banned forever. Yes, I agree with that. The problem is that increasing the monitoring of fans, uh, uh, increasing uh, the sanctions against clubs will lead to what? Turning stadiums into airports or, or prisons and making sure that uh, football clubs don't want their fans around or that they want fans who don't speak the language. This is currently what is happening. You go to the page to the Parc des Princes, it's, a, it's an airport, and you go to the new camp, 75% of the fans don't speak the language. Great, but the new camp is boring as hell. You have 90,000 people in it, it's boring as hell. You go to the Old Trafford, Old Trafford has become a boring stadium. There is a reason for that, because these clubs don't want their fans around. They want people who pay for it, they want tourists. Tourists are not racist because they don't speak the language. They are not into these discussions. They just come here to take pictures and buy goodies. Can we change that? Can, can, I think that... I mean, can we make tourists more racist? Can, I think that, yeah, I mean, Jesus. you can find tourists who are racist. Eventually, tourists will be racist like everybody. 
My point is capitalism and neoliberalism with its security and profit-oriented uh, mind will solve your problem. No fans. I mean, they're already pricing out the fan anyways. Exactly. No, the problem will be solved soon. Yeah. I mean, this is what they did in Lebanon, but of course they didn't, uh, I mean, it didn't uh, continue forever, but but I just can't see it happening. I mean, this is one of the, what I suggested that I think that would make the whole thing come crashing down. Uh, and I don't think that, that, that they will go through that. They, they'll try a million things before, even cosmetic things, uh, and they'll drag things as much as possible. I, I think, uh, I, I personally think, and I know this is not popular, I think racism in football, just like racism in society, is here to stay, especially when it comes to uh, people who are either from Africa or who have darker skin. That's something that uh, for for the foreseeable future is going to stay. That's why I support like a a, a uh, an approach that manages uh, the problem. Because if you set those goals, you could actually make something happen. Whereas if you try to go all the way and assume that you know the eradication of racism in the stadiums is possible, you're gonna probably have to be. Uh, somewhat of a fascist at some point. You, you're going to evaluate the own the, the same um, uh, principles that you're there to fight for. Uh, 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 Toma, you've said a few times uh, you said something about your team, your team, your team, but you were very uh, uh, you know careful not to say what it is. Can you say what it is so we could attack you? PSG. I'm a PSG fan. Oh, I'm you're a PSG. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. So, so wow. This is gonna be awesome. The gossip section of this episode and uh, podcast is gonna be awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't have I don't have that much time. I have fifteen minutes. So... Well, we, we we actually are almost done because we talked a lot okay. about serious stuff. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm okay. kind of d- disappointed. Uh, we need to line it up. Yeah, let's line it up. <laughs> so so we talked about a few things uh, that we might mention uh, now, uh, starting with with uh, the possibility of Liverpool actually winning the Premier League this uh, this season. We also talked about the problem of Tottenham. Tottenham. I, I can never pronounce this word because I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm an Arab. Just say Spurs. Yeah, Just say Spurs. Spurs. Uh, and uh, of course, Matt is, you know, Matt spent the whole week crying because they are, they are falling apart and he's a major Spurs fan. Um, and then, of course, uh, a whole uh, slew of other things. But now we should really talk about PSG and, and what's going on there, especially that, you know, Neymar and Mbappe are slated not to stay there. And Cavani is you know, now being considered like, uh, you know, somebody who's getting old and Icardi is replacing him. So there's a lot to talk about. What do you want to start with? Thomas, since you are our guest, uh, you pick the gossip entry. Oh, I could speak about the PSG forever, but I mean, right now it's pretty simple. Everything is going well. I mean, Neymar is back. He seems to be focused on his season. Bappe will recover from his injury. So he will be back in a couple of weeks. And we will have one of the best offensive line in the world. Easy. Easy. For the first time in years, we have a midfield. <laughs> and, no, but for the, the, you, you're joking, but like when we... When we I know, no, that, I, I believe it. I, I know what you're referring to. But what about your defense? And we have a, a very good defensive line. Our, our uh, fullbacks are more still decent, more... It could be better, but the team is the strongest it has been in years. I think it's the strongest team since we, since we have been uh, bought by the by, uh, by the Qataris, and it's this year is the other 50 years. Uh, it's the 50 years anniversary of the club. 
which was uh, founded in 1970. So and we are going to win the Champions League. <laughs> I was waiting for this. I was waiting for Matt to respond to this like unbelievable optimism. This is actually a good a good thing uh, that that there's some tension because Matt has always uh, uh, kind of uh, had Pessimistic. things to say. <laughs> so, Just, I, I, I don't see that defense carrying you to a Champions League title. I think Liverpool are better as a front-to-back unit. I think Man City are a better front-to-back mm-hmm. unit. I think, well, actually, that's, no, Bar- Barcelona and Real Madrid are not better. Hey, hey, hey. Um, uh, no, no. Like Man City and Liverpool, yeah. And then, of course, there is the the elephant in the room or the old ladies, that's their nickname, Juventus. No, no. Yes, Juventus no, they, has they, the depth. Juventus yeah. has the depth, even though Matthias Dillit seems to still not have recovered from Lucas Moura's traumatizing hat trick against him. No, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, the Licht is is not playing well. Bonucci is uh, too silky to be efficient as a as a as a fullback. I'm not convinced by the Juve. I mean, the Juve is a great. Uh, I, I I I hate the Juve for what it is as a club uh, as. <laughs> Like everybody who has an interest in Italian football, I hate the Juve. Yes, uh, so do I. Yeah, and for for obvious reasons. But um, no, I'm I'm convinced that this year, yeah, obviously, like every team has its uh, chance. But besides uh, Liverpool, and what? and besides Liverpool and Man City, I think that the PSG has one of the best teams in the in the competition. What happens when Icardi inevitably mouths off because his agent and wife says something ridiculous? I mean, what she's happens? a smart lady. Oh, she's definitely smart, but um, you are aware that Mauro Icardi actually stole his teammate's wife in order for this to happen, right? No, 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 no. I'm aware. I'm, I'm, How do you know this, man? <laughs> Look up Maxi Lopez. Mauro Icardi is basically blackballed from the Argentine national team because his current spouse, Wanda Icardi, is the ex-wife of Argentine international Maxi Lopez. What happens? What happens? Maxi Lopez was an asshole. He was cheating on his wife. Uh, Icardi was uh, just uh, like the boy next door, a young fellow, and uh, I think that they fell in love. Actually, I don't give a damn, but uh, I I, I see no reason to judge them. Oh, speaking of footballer spouses, did either of you see the spat between Wayne Rooney and Jamie Vardy's spouses on Twitter today? Uh, I don't have Twitter, but I've heard about it, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. You know, I really appreciate the descent of this discourse in this podcast <laughs> from where, from talking about neoliberalism and post-colonial, you know, periods and to, to, to like, uh, Icardi's wife. Twitter fights between, between and the wives. Twitter fights. Okay. <laughs> Uh, this is yeah. cool. Basically, that's what exactly happened- what we were supposed to do at this during this section. But oh, go, go ahead. Sorry, Matt. I was gonna say something about you guys leaving out Barcelona, and I don't appreciate this. But go ahead. Oh, we'll get to Barcelona in a second because that club's a train wreck at the moment. Oh, but oh, basically, basically, Colleen Rooney um, has accused Jamie Vardy's wife Rebecca of leaking personal stories to the Sun newspaper, if we can call it a newspaper. They're fake news. Um, And how she found this out was she told Rebecca Vardy three completely false stories, including one about her basement flooding and having an $8,000 surgery in Mexico. And these stories still ended up in the Sun, and she called her out on Twitter today. Mm, And they're they're calling her Wagatha Christie. 
Wow. <laughs> That's so sad. Oh, no, this is so sad. It says terrible things about society in general. Oh, yes, oh, but yes. it's brilliant <laughs> entertainment. <laughs> what do they say? Opium for the masses? Oh, uh, yeah, opium for the masses, yeah. Now, I mean, what is, what is good for uh, both of these women is that at least it gives them uh, some kind of occupation. I don't know if they have a, a job or what, but at least they have uh, something to do. Because it must I, not be fun every day to be married to somebody like Wayne Rooney or Jamie Wapardi. Yeah, it's it's something. It, it does say something probably very bad about me that I enjoyed this as much as I did at, on, on Twitter this morning. <laughs> uh, weren't you supposed to be at work, Matt? Uh, this was before work. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, this this story broke at about five o'clock Eastern time in the morning. Oh my god! I don't go to work till seven thirty. <laughs> okay. So Matt, uh, before we uh, close, I don't want to lose the opportunity to ask you, uh, you know, under the title of "What the hell is going on?" Uh, what the hell is going on with the uh, the Spurs? Um. There are expiring contracts with our two best central defenders in Vertonghen and Alderweireld. Christian Eriksen is completely uninterested in doing anything other than pleading to Zinazin Zidane, please sign me, even though I'm not that good. Um, our right back is Serge Aurier, who is a certified fool. And that's, yeah. I, I would use stronger language, but I won't. Um our left back is oft injured Danny Rose, who has been told by the manager that he is not wanted. Mm -hmm. Our midfield consists of Harry Winks, who is honestly the most overrated player I've ever had the displeasure of watching. No, it's Deli Ali. It's Deli Ali. No, I, I, Deli, Deli Ali. Deli Ali actually understands the concept of moving forward with the bloody ball instead of just. <laughs> the only thing you understand. It's the guy who just moves forward with the bloody ball. It's the only thing he does. Is is terrible. I, I will defend Deli Ali before I defend Harry Winks because Harry Winks thinks he's he thinks he's Andres Iniesta. He's not. He's he's a poor man's Bojan. Remember Bojan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It just, that's how little I think of Harry Winks. Harry Kane is, I think he's injured, to be quite honest. I think Delhi is still injured. Uh, Lucas Mora isn't starting for some reason I don't understand. Um, who haven't I slagged off? I'm missing somebody. Uh, Musa Sissoko's had a slow start to the season. And, of course, with any time when you sign four or five new players, they do need time to integrate into the squad. I still feel like I'm for... Oh, yeah, and Hugo Lloris has just passed it. Yeah. <laughs> wow, this doesn't and, sound like uh, your team. This sounds like you hate these people. <laughs> these, these people allow me to express the fullest extent of my inner masochism. That is why I am a Spurs fan. It allows me to admit that I'm a masochist in polite company. <laughs> well, um, okay, thank you. Actually, that's a, that's a convincing, uh, you know, condemnation. Um, so I, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't have any, I don't have any, any gossip items, uh, to share except that. At least Pochettino is in Ernesto Valverde, who is just a terrible manager. Yeah. 
Oh, you you both hate Valverde, huh? Um, he plays no, the most redundant nice. football nice. ever. He, he might be a good guy, but his football, his tactics are appalling. They make me want to sandpaper my eyes. You mean? And given, I'm a Spurs fan. Given the potential that that his players have, his tactics are not uh, allowing them to live to their potential, or do you talk? You mean something else? No, that's exactly what I mean. Okay. I think you have Lionel Messi. Luis Suarez, Antoine Griezmann, Usman Dembele. That's a lot of attacking firepower. And you look redundant. How do you look redundant with Messi? How? He's done it. Mm-hmm. It's he's he's and I learned this word this week. He is omni shambles with it, with his tactics. Omni shambles. He's that? not just shambles. He is not just shambles, which is just a, a wreck. He is total shambles. Mm-hmm. Omni shambles, omnipresent shambles in his tactics. Mm. Mm. But from from this perspective, maybe the problem is not Valverde. Maybe the problem is Messi, and Suarez, and what they represent for the club, and Piquet and Busquets. Oh, Piquet! Like this, four, this, four, this is poison. The the four of them with uh, Jordi Alba. That's poison. I would um, like to have them in my club. PK and Jordi Alba, I'll give you. Busquets is as reprehensible as he might be as a person. Still a very key component of making that Barcelona team work when Valverde doesn't outsmart himself. I Lionel Messi is Lionel Messi. I do think Suarez is long in the tooth. But I think if they had a different manager, a manager who played a more positive style of football one who is currently employed by Tottenham Hotspur, who ought to leave because he's too good for our sad sack of a club, Barcelona would be a lot better off. They also need a whole new defense. I, uh, mm. Matt, I mean, uh, Thomas, you're saying this about uh, these folks, uh, the five, because they are sort of, they've, they've outlived their, their purpose. I mean, but they're not equally this. I mean, first of all, Suarez, despite his inconsistency, uh, I mean, first of all, this this particular season has been has been at least much better than the start of the last season. That's the season. previous one, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that's yeah. that. Uh, Messi has been injured and he's coming back. And yeah. maybe if you noticed, Messi has been actually stepping back and allowing the team to play. I mean, either this is intentional or it's a function of him not being completely fit, but it, he is stepping back and I think it's working. But uh, the, the yeah, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I see that. I mean, especially in the absence of somebody who can actually replace PK, which is, which I was hoping for Delict to actually come in, but he didn't want to because he knew that he would be uh, man number two. So he went to Juventus and he's not happy there apparently. And so, so I'm I'm not sure if I agree with either of you about Barcelona's um, uh, uh, basically chances. But the one thing I would like to say is that's more obvious than everything that we've said is is basically the the. The, the the Griezmann factor. I mean, he hasn't been. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know whether it's that he's not he's not welcome or he still hasn't found himself. But that is something that is quite uh, uh, apparent from 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 the first few games. I mean, he's his, mm. his impact has has not been felt. But but of course, correct me if you guys think that there's a either I'm wrong or or there's an obvious reason for that. I don't know. But there is an obvious reason for that. I mean, he plays on the left, and he, he should not play on the left. I mean, if you have seen one game of Griezmann over the last five years, you know, there is a central forward, not a left forward. 
And he used to play on the left when he was at the Real Sociedad. And in France, he played on the left a couple of times, but he, he always ended in the center because it's where he's natural. So it's, and, it's, uh, it's and where you can they're do positioning that him. It's where, it's where Valverde, he's putting him in the wrong place. Yeah, yes. But when, when you have Suarez and Messi, uh, the center is just like... Congested. So you, yeah, you end up with three players who all want to go in the center, and one of them is smarter than the other. No, he's not smarter than Messi, but he's definitely smarter than Suarez. And he also, he's also more uh, prone to playing for the team, and it's and it's uh, Griezmann. So Griezmann is going to sacrifice himself this year, and then he will leave. I and think if, if you're lucky, we'll we'll buy him from you. We'll give you Neymar, and uh, you can you can take Suarez. Uh, you can give us Griezmann. Yeah. I think the problem is for Griezmann, which is really concerning, is it's not like he doesn't know the Spanish league, whether he's being played out of position or not, and he totally is being played out of position. Um, so his struggling start is really, really concerning. I think Barcelona's biggest issue is going to not be their attack, though. It's going to be the fact that Jared Piquet, he, he's expired. He's expired milk as a central defender. Mm-hmm. Umtiti is not wanted. Just They need to do something about that defense. And this could just be my inner Jose Mourinho coming out, always harping about defense. But Barcelona yeah. has a bad defense. <laughs> mm-hmm. But at least with somebody like Griezmann on the pitch, if he plays on the left, he will come and help the midfielders, which is not the case with somebody like Suarez or somebody like Messi or somebody like Dembele. So this might be also a reason for, for, for Griezmann to stay on the pitch, just to help help the midfield. Because if on, in the midfield you have, you have like Busquets, who cannot run, uh, it's going to be a long season. Oh, Barcelona's going to finish third in La Liga and go out in the quarterfinals of the Champions League if they make it that far. Unless unless they play the PSG, and in that case, we will self-destroy in a pathetic way, and they will go, and they, and they will go ahead. What do you think of that prediction, Bassam? Quarterfinals of the Champions League is the best you can hope for, and third place in La Liga. No, I don't agree. I think I think this is going to be different, uh, if only because uh, Messi knows that this is his last year in which he is physically capable of moving the team. I mean, he could still play next year, but I don't think mm-hmm. his impact is going to be able to 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 sort of affect uh, the, the the team as a whole. I mean, he he's going to be a contributor next year, and he 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 feels because uh, he actually said something about his age and aging, which is rare to hear. So I think I think that's gonna have an impact, and I think he's gonna tell Valverde that, you know, things need to happen uh, because the past two times the loss to Roma and the loss to Liverpool, which was both of them were pathetic. Uh, I mean, they 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 did represent, uh, in my view, Valverde's inability to to make changes uh, during those two particular games, which is why I agree with you, Matt, only partially about Valverde. I don't. I know everybody now is is dumping on him, but I think he's a solid coach. But he's 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 too inflexible, and he doesn't adapt as well. And I think that is gonna change. However, uh, in in the end, I mean, I don't care. Who gives a shit? I mean, I, uh, yeah. I mean, we're. Uh, I mean, I'm. You know, uh, I'm. I'm a bit. I'm a bit of a of a. Uh, I want to say a word that will have to be bleeped or it will like cost me a lot. But maybe I will not say it. But I'm. You know, I'm going. In two directions, I'm I'm Liverpool. I I you know I support Liverpool. Uh, I've always 
I guess, I don't know why, but since the 70s, since Kevin Keegan and other people played Liverpool, I supported Liverpool. Oh, Kevin Keegan, that poor man. Yeah, I know. And then, and then, and then Barcelona. So if one loses, I'm, <laughs> I'm fine with the other. Uh, okay, that's, that's a safe bet, yeah. Yeah, okay. uh, but, but guys, one thing before, before we close and before I forget, because I already forgot to mention it. We are a bit guilty of leaving out a lot of things when it comes when it came to the discussion of racism. We we didn't touch on Latin America. We didn't touch on the mm. on the Arab world and mm. uh, North Africa. Uh, I mean, I I know that we could go to East Asia and so on, but we didn't touch on uh, the United States either. So I uh, I just want to say that. Uh, uh, you we know. could talk about this for four hours, and we still wouldn't yeah. cover everything. Yeah, but we didn't even like mention. Uh, but 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 I think Europe is is the focal point, so I don't feel very guilty. But I just want to acknowledge that that there's so much going on also in in these other places, and it's not that uh, 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 it's just that less important or less of a of a, of a major uh you know sort of uh event or tournaments or so on i also think it's underreported in those places i just want to mention that um yeah. okay uh, uh toma and matt before we uh overstay our welcome because uh, it's been like about an hour and 20 minutes that's pretty long do you guys want to make any closing remarks that was my closing remark uh, only that if FIFA is going to convince me that it cares about racism as it affects its employees, the players, they need to do something more than sell T-shirts that say, say no to racism. Actually do something, whether it's Tomas' suggestions, whether it's mine, whether it's a combination of both. Do something, because whatever this currently is, is broken. Yeah. Okay. Toma. Um, um, do I have to finish on racism or can I just no, whatever end you with some wishful thinking? Okay. Freestyle, freestyle. I'm pretty convinced that the PSG is going to win the Champions League this year. So <laughs> it's it's uh, October 9th and I'm uh, I'm standing by this obvious fact. We are going to win the Champions League this year. This is actually interesting that you said it right after Matt gave his last word so he cannot respond. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, uh, you know, okay. maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll start something on the side. Uh, a few of us who are connected to this podcast and see about uh, what's going to happen. But uh, thank you so much, uh, Toma, for joining and and being uh, you know uh, substantive and informative and 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 giving giving us a, a lot to think about and and opening up some. Uh, really important points about uh, uh, French football and and uh, the discussion about you know uh, potential uh, treatment of the question of racism. That was really cool. Thanks, Matt, for being awesome as usual, doing uh, the bulk of the research and and bringing a lot of uh, uh, you know good foundations to the discussion. And I hope that people will continue to listen. I I uh, I look forward to the next. Um, episode we haven't decided what it's going to be about but Matt we did talk about uh, a few options and 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 one of them has to do with the uh, with US football because and and I know it's not exciting I know people are like oh really going to talk about the MLS but you know I just went on Sunday and watched DC United play I was excited because you know I was in the stadium 
Uh, and I think there's a lot to talk about, including uh, uh, the, the women's uh, football team in, in the United States and and some of the discussions about pay and uh, about uh, a friend of mine uh, who's actually part of, uh, tangentially part of this uh, broader podcast uh, on status, uh, was discussing the uh, uh, question of the banning of certain chants because they are uh, anti-racist, uh, but in a certain way. Uh, it's a really interesting uh, topic that, that can also be brought in, in uh, into the discussion of uh, football in North America. Uh, I, I, think, I think it's worthwhile, uh, but there are other topics as well. And I hope that we'll... I, I hope, Toma, you'll join us in the future. I hope this was... The, uh, uh, yeah, it's It was very interesting and yeah. fun. Okay. Wonderful. Uh, okay. Thank you uh, all, and um, uh, we'll uh, we'll see you on uh, on the pitch somewhere. Oh yeah. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.